Well, hey, better late than never. I think that's what they've always said, and I think that's the case for the damn podcast. So I want to apologize right now. This is Brandon Sprague from 1080 The Fan, along with Angie Machado, BeaverBlitz.com. Two weeks to this Saturday, Oregon State beat University of Oregon and snapped their Civil War losing streak. And uh, I just want to take the time to apologize because this podcast is way, way overdue. But work schedules, personal life things that have come up in Angie and I's schedule just have not meshed the last two weeks. But hey, Angie, we're here and we're ready to talk about a lot of things Oregon State coming off a huge Civil War win. Oh my gosh, there's so much to talk about. Recruiting and mid- mid-year signing and Civil War and new coaches and coaches gone, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, and, and I'm really excited because you know we're both at the Civil War. Um, you, unfortunately, had to sit in the press box, which... How did that go? It was fine. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing too exciting. You didn't have any uh, Duck media members that were secretly rooting for the Ducks to win that game, so Helfrich may keep his job, kind of getting a little pissed off there in the, the second half? You know, I we weren't. We were kind of – they always pushed us down, kind of down by um, – well, we're always by the Oregonian folks mm-hmm. and then um, by the visiting team's SID. So, Ah, um, uh, gotcha. It really – it's not too bad. Was Dave Williford there? You know, I, I don't know. Oh. I, we had them all right there, um, but I don't know. He's, I don't know one from another. He's the crotchety old guy wearing an Oregon jacket. I would have asked you to maybe punch him in the stomach once for me because he's just the worst person to work with. Um, Actually, but, the guys we were around were awesome. They were all super, super nice. Well, so. that's good. Hey, I did want to throw this out there. Angie stopped by the tailgate, had a nice little conversation with her, with your husband, before the game. That was kind of fun. It was fun. I, wish, I made it to a few tailgates. It was it was a fun fun uh, morning. I wish you could have hung around and took a couple body shots because my buddy uh, my buddy Marv took his shirt off and then we <laughs> ladies started doing body shots off him, which was kind of weird. So 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 sorry I missed that one. <laughs> no, actually you shouldn't be. <laughs> Trust me, you shouldn't be. Uh, but let's talk about that game. You know, I I don't think you can ever be too late to talk about what a game like that means to Oregon State, where you're starting the second half, you're down by ten. You kind of get this feel in the stadium amongst fans of like, no, like we were here, we thought we were going to win, and you had this feeling that Oregon was going to run away with it, and the defense made a stop, and boom, 21 straight runs later, Oregon State's running it down their throat, and they go on a 20-0 run and win the Civil War. Yeah, I mean, it was um, fun. I mean, obviously in the press box we don't cheer. I did have to go down... um, to set up the the video camera for the post game, so I have to you know get in the elevator early because I shut them down for the coaches that that need to take them. So um, I missed a bunch of that, but um, I kind of snuck my way. I didn't sneak. I talked my way out to that terrace level, yeah, and uh, got to watch it from there. So that was kind of fun. But um, I, I mean, I don't I don't think that game ever felt like Oregon State was out of it. But that last that last fourth quarter, it was just complete domination. I mean, to to watch that, and I'll give you a perspective. So I'm sitting uh, on the old alumni side in section 16, and you know, there's a duck fan probably two rows behind me, and you know, I'm a, I'm all for fun banter. You know, the duck score, ah, laugh, laugh, laugh. Okay, I get it. I had a buddy that showed up to the tailgate wearing some duck gear. Like I'm all for that. This guy, this jackass, comes to the Civil War. And he's every single time he's making fun of the OSU first down thing, the dun dun yeah, dun, yeah. dun dun dun, and then every time Morgan gets a first down, he jokingly goes, "Huh, <laughs> So he's starting to kind of turn into dushy, uh, douchey duck fan, and yeah, I, douchey duck fan. And, and I'm sitting there, and I'm kind of like, I'm biting my tongue. I'm not saying anything, 
And then three minutes in the game are left, and OSU's up, and they're driving for the go-ahead touchdown that's just going to kind of put a stamp on the game, and it starts raining pretty hard. And this freaking front runner goes, oh, it's too rainy, I can't do this anymore. And the whole section <laughs> starts clapping as he runs down for cover uh, with his stupid duck jersey on, getting a kick out of this guy being the ultimate douchebag basically the entire game. And then when his team was getting their freaking just pounded into the ground, he got real quiet, he shut up, and it started raining, and he took cover and quit watching. I just I got a lot of pleasure out of that. That was good. That was good. Did, did you storm the field? No. I You know, I, I, I had a buddy that was like, should we storm the field? And I was like... <laughs> Dude, we are too old to be storming the field. I'm not jumping a wall. I'm not getting mangled by a couple college kids who are trying to get into the middle of a mosh pit. I'm good. So we we stayed in our seats. Uh, I took a picture. I kind of took it all in. I went nuts. It was a good time. It, it really was. To, to watch them not only win and break a streak like that, eight straight, mm-hmm. but to do it in that fashion of Gary Anderson-like football and we're going to run it down your freaking throat, and we don't care. I loved it because yeah. give give the Ducks credit on this. I felt like the first half they kind of controlled it and left you nervous of, are we going to be able to run the ball? And if we're not, how screwed are we offensively? And that didn't matter. That didn't matter to Gary Anderson, uh, Woods, or McGiven at all. They said, you know what? To hell with that. We are going to run this ball until they prove that they truly can stop it the entire game. And completely, and, and and hats off to I mean not Ryan Nall and Artavis Pierce, but that O line, you know Sean Harlow, uh, those guys that that was Gavin Andrews, Dustin mm-hmm. Santon. I'll call out the three seniors because that was that was on them too. So um, huge. I actually was on the terrace, and I do have to give a shout out because I did not write a story, but I ended up standing by a couple guys that were just standing there, and and this this guy he didn't know I was a media member or anything, and yeah. So then he found out, and he's like, you need to write a story because I haven't missed a game in like 20 years. I was up in the corner, you know. I mean, he the guy was diehard, right? So yeah. as soon as Beavers won, I think they might have had a, you know, a few beers, a few, <laughs> few sodas there. Who but, didn't um, in yeah, that stadium? I picked up. He picks me up. He actually said he played on the Fiesta Bowl team. Oh, wow. So shout out to Doug Cooper okay. and your friend who is a Washington State fan but decked out in Beaver gear. They both picked me up, threw me over their shoulders, spun me around a couple times. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the last time I got picked up and spun around, it was in college, and um, I had a I fell and got a tooth knocked out. So oh, I was geez. a little a little panicked there, but yeah, I survived. But how cool was that, though? I mean, I don't know if you watched any of the post game, but th- to see the jo- that was pure joy yeah. with Coach Anderson. I mean, and tearing up because he's so proud of these guys. I mean, that was the emotion was was really fun to see. Yeah, you know, I, I missed it obviously live because yeah, I'm in the I'm in the stands and then I, I had to go pack the tailgate up and it was pouring down rain. It was terrible weather. Um but I went back and when I got home I, I rewatched kind of the fourth quarter just to go, man, I can't believe this really happened. And then I saw the post game. It was so cool watching him. His wife was by him. Yeah. yeah. Um he's basically I love this place. You know, I, I always tell people it doesn't matter what your team is, it doesn't matter what sport it is. There is literally a handful of jobs that you always just feel confident that your coach is never leaving. Oregon State's not one of them. You never go 100% in, but there is an element, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, there's an element of him that I don't think this is like a three-year thing where if he wins six or seven games next year, he's bolting. 
everything can change that, obviously. If Bama comes calling because Saban retires or leaves, then that changes everything. But it feels like he wants to be there. He wants to stay there. He wants to be in Corvallis. He wants to be with those kids. He wants to build this up and try to win a freaking Pac-12 championship. It's the vibe I get from him. It's the vibe I gotten from day one. And the more this progresses and the longer this goes on and the wins you get after an Arizona, a Cal, an Oregon and you see the post game it just shows you i think it's a glimpse of where he's at emotionally and mentally of to hell with leaving we're going to win here i don't care what anybody says or thinks i'm staying here till we win a pac 12 title i agree and he's he's a small town guy you know he doesn't like the big cities he the traffic i i saw a interview with him recently where he talked about you know being 5 minutes away from you know 5 minutes away from his kids he called them yeah. at all times in Corvallis i mean really um, you know, you can have him over for barbecues. He walks his dogs. I mean, this is, um, I, and everybody I've spoken with that has known him for a while just said this is what he, I mean, he really saw this as a destination. This was something that had been kind of circled. He loves the West Coast. Pac-12 is kind of, is, is the the best conference out here, the top conference. Yeah. And you start looking around and there's very few Pac-12 jobs that are in a smaller, smaller town. And, and he's not the big city guy. So. Yeah. Um, you know, he's on L.A. or uh, San Francisco or mm-hmm. Tempe or, you know, so it, it leaves those those smaller. And I, I do think he really, truly likes it here. Well, and I think a lot of that has to do, too, Angie, with the Utah roots. Um, you know, his best friend probably in the business is is Kyle Whittingham. Um, and, and just the small town thing is a good point, too, of we, we've told you that before. You've read that. You've heard that. That's not that's nothing new. But like take his life, for example. He is almost minus the growing up in Corvallis part, he basically is turned into Mike Riley, the way that he loves walking around the town, walking his dogs, like the ability to do that. And people really won't bother him. They might say hi to him or go coach or go beeves, but they don't bother him like they would. Uh, He doesn't live in one of those McMansions. There's only a few of them in Corvallis. He doesn't own one of them. He's not some gaudy guy that has all these millions and wants to show off everything. And I even have heard before, like, Madison, when he was in Wisconsin, Madison was too big. Yeah. Like he, yeah. he has said that. He's basically come out and said, you know, we were in Madison. It, it was almost too big. It's like Madison, Wisconsin. You don't think of a big town when you think Madison, but that just goes to show you what he's comfortable in, what he really likes. And that's why I think Corvallis is such a great fit for him uh, and for him to stick around here and try to see this thing through and, and try to get this team to at least a Pac-12 title. Well, and you look at, I mean, you get these kids on campus and the the players like it. I mean, that was always the thing, even with Riley's staff, was if they could get a prospect to visit, it upped their chances to get the kid signed. So, you know, it doesn't matter what a kid hears or what he has preconceived about Corvallis. You get him to Oregon State, and they see it. Yep. And, I, and I think it also plays into Coach Anderson and his whole vision for the entire program. You know, it, it's been really fun to watch some of the it's, – it's beyond football for them. And they have the beyond football program and such. And I don't know if you've seen some of the videos they just put out, but – um, it's it's academics. It's you know preparing for job interviews. It's um, you know doing the the uh, food drive and uh, they raise money to to adopt a family for Christmas. I'm uh-huh. losing my words here, but um, you know the team actually came up with eight hundred dollars of their own money. The players chipped in from their from their per diem checks. Eight hundred bucks. The coaches actually chipped in the rest, and these guys went to Target and had two families with uh, cancer patient children mm-hmm. that uh, they put on the whole Christmas for them. They wrapped the presents for them. I mean, well beyond. This is all well beyond just what happens on the football field. And Corvallis is a great place for Gary to really 
sell that whole vision. And I think that that's always going to be the important one. And we have a lot to get to in this podcast. We'll get to some recruiting stuff and the direction that's taken. They've now over they've now surpassed the team down south that has all the money and all the facilities, which I think that's a huge step. We'll talk about that higher kind of at the end of the podcast. Just I talked about this on the radio show today. We're recording this on a Friday. Uh, just outside of Eugene, like how other people around the Pac-12 conference that roots for Oregon State or a Washington or a Wazoo, like does that hire scare you? Like how do you feel about that? So we'll talk about that at the end of the podcast. Um, but we just we wanted to talk about Civil War. We, we know we're late with this thing, almost two weeks late, but uh, we just figured, hey, it, it was such a good time. Why not talk about it again and lead the podcast with it? I do want to ask you this, Angie, and, and, and I'm curious because I think you could go two ways here. When you win a game like that and you snap a losing streak and you beat a program that even though they're down has kind of owned the Pac-12 the last handful of years, is that a true program builder? Like, is that the cornerstone or is it more of a let's wait a little longer before we pronounce that the cornerstone win? I I, I think it's definitely on the on the right track. I, yeah, I think you wait just a, a little bit longer, but definitely – what a way to end the season with those two wins, um, you know, three Pac-12 wins. So, By the way, um, congratulations to you. You called the over. They hit four. They hit the over. That's true. They did. Yes. Sweet. Um, but, no, I, I do think it, it's a total step in the right direction, and it will definitely be a builder as they, they move forward um, in this in spring practice, which will actually be taking place in winter, I've been told. So um, getting an early start to spring practice this year. Like a December-January situation? Uh, February. February. Okay. Okay. February. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Cause it usually starts. Yeah. Okay. Right, that makes sense to me. Um, you know, the recruiting aspect, I think, is this a, a, like one of those monumental now you turn to point? Gary Anderson, I think, kind of feels that way. I think a lot of the players feel that way. They're going to be back there next year. For recruiting purposes, I'll say, yeah. But program, like they're truly back as one of those respectable, Nobody talks about them, but man, all the all the teams in the conference hate to play them. Teams, not yet. I, not I think, yet. No, no. But as 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 their rebuilding process. Yes, definitely, well, definitely. And it feels good to, like you said, not only finish the season with two wins, Arizona and Oregon, but it feels great to snap that streak to beat your main rival on your home field the way that you did it. But I think if you're going to hit that 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 cornerstone, if you're going to hit the momentum building win. To me, it's going to be when you play a highly ranked, you know, a top 10 UW, a top 10 Stanford, a top 10 SC or whoever it is in your building, and you end up getting one of those wins like Riley did a couple times. I think that is when you turn the corner. Like that is when we'll look at this thing and we'll say, here they are. We, we knew yeah. they were going to be good this year. Man, they might surpass the expectation. Can they win eight, nine, 10 games this year? and be in the Pac-12 title game conversation. When that happens, I think that's when we really say they've turned the corner. It's great to beat Oregon, but you also have to remember Oregon was not a very good team last year. Completely. But they do have a lot of talent. I mean, They it, do. It is hard to say that they're not a good team when you look up and down that roster and so much talent. But, no, I, I agree with you on that, in that a t- you know, a big top 10, top 20 victory will be when you actually say, okay, this team is actually – but as far as the rebuilding process goes, that Civil War was a, was a cornerstone. I do want to ask, since you, you're on BeaverBlitz.com and, and you guys have conversations all the time on the message board, um, what was the driving conversation after the Civil War win? Oh, so many people are so happy. Just unbelievable, happy, right direction. 
Um, Coach Anderson knows what he's doing recruiting. I mean, that's, you know, a day after a, a game, especially a home game when there's official visitors in town, it's spent from the time I get up, we are, you know, doing not only our analysis pieces of breaking down the game, but, you know, myself, Adam Nicholson, we're, you know, reaching out to these recruits as soon as they leave campus to get their thoughts. So, um, and the recruits were so excited. You know, there's so many guys that were in town that um, just saw that. They bonded. They couldn't believe how the crowd was. So um, just overall, just a really huge win, top to bottom. And I'm always curious about that, too, just to kind of see what other people are thinking, fans, you know, people that write for BeaverBlitz.com, who I think do a great job for your website. Uh, I'm always just curious, like, what was the big takeaway from the game, I think you could point to a couple of things: the offensive line's growth and development throughout the year, especially the last four or five weeks. Uh, Ryan Nall, when he's healthy, is he the best running back in this conference now? The emergence of Art Pierce, hell, the defense late in that second half to basically hold Oregon to doing nothing offensively, even though it was raining, to still be able to do that. Those are really talented players on that side of the ball for them, and to hold them to those three and outs and give your offense a chance to tie slash take the lead. Uh, I think it speaks volumes. So I'm always interested to see, like, what's the biggest thing that stands out for people? You know, I, the defense overall, I think, toward that last, you know, the last maybe quarter of the season, what we saw in Beaver Blitz was so many people impressed with the defense and the growth of that defense and the offensive line. Those are kind of the two big takeaways. But, you know, this defense has come leaps and bounds. And this was a, you know, a brand-new D coordinator. And I think a lot of people were really upset when Kalani Sataki left. Just mm-hmm. not upset, disappointed that, you know, they wanted to see what he could do. And Kevin Clune was one of those, like, well, we'll see. Who's Kevin so, Clune? Yeah, is exactly. It was said. a real kind of – but what he has done with the defense and all those – I mean, with the injuries and the true freshmen and – the guys that they were putting out in the field each week, that mm-hmm. it differed week to week. It, very, very impressive. You know, I, I will say this. I had uh, I had Gina on the show, and I, I just asked her, like, end of the season grades, which is something I guess we could talk about, too. I, I asked her end of the season grades, and, and I guess if you're saying from start to finish, I see where she's coming from, but one that she gave that she graded out that kind of had me pause, and I was kind of, wait, wait, what? And I didn't agree with it, and listeners were texting in, like, wait, how is that possible? I asked her defense because I was asking coaching grades, and I said defense, and she goes C minus. And I don't know, really, she, yeah, and that just really threw me off. And you know, maybe she's a, she's calculating from like start to end, but that was given the. I job, don't even see it from start to end. I mean, I thought they'd done a a decent job. Yeah. I would have given them a a B to a B minus. Yeah, see, I, I was I was B. thinking like B B plus because yeah. you, you're taking the injury account, you're the taking injuries, the yeah. inexperience. Yeah, C minus. Wow, that's that surprises me. Yeah, and look, she does a great job, but that one just kind of threw me for a loop. Plus, the the idea of what you're saying, like bringing a new D coordinator, in, that's not easy. Like, there's no. a transition period there for a lot of people, and we saw, we coincidentally saw it against the rival. Brady yeah. Hoke was god awful this year. It never it never related. It never clicked. He couldn't get through. Kevin Clune and that defense certainly had their downs. UW game wasn't pretty. Um, Stanford fourth quarter game not great. But for the most part, given the lack of depth, the injuries, and your first year there, I, I thought that was a remarkable performance by them defensively this oh, year. I, I too, yeah. I, like I said, it wasn't perfect, but gosh, with, with what they had to work with, I mean, I, I, like you said, new, a new staff or a new, new coordinator, new cornerback coach. Move the, move the D-line coach, have him be quarter, or linebacker coach. I mean, it was a, there was a lot of movement on that defensive staff. 
So yeah, I would have I would have gone with the B. Okay, that would have been my. Okay, let me let me ask you this then. Uh, let's play the uh, the fun game of grade that then. I'm gonna go position okay. group, not coaching. Okay. Okay. Offensive line. Um, over until we're going overall. Yeah, just overall. Overall, because they got a lot better. I would have given them probably a C, C plus. Okay. Uh, quarterback. I gotta go with a C, C minus. Uh, running back. B plus. Wide receivers. Gosh, I think they underperformed. I'm gonna go with a you know, like a C, C minus there. God, you're you're a really nice teacher. Do you know that? <laughs> Let me just say this right now. You are not a teacher that I think you're the cool teacher at school. Like everybody wants to take your history class. You really care about teaching. Great on the curve. Yeah, but you're also very generous because you end up liking the students a lot. So you're like, yeah, you weren't the greatest, Philip, but I'll give you a C minus. <laughs> you tried hard. I'm surprised you've given C minus. I I'm sorry. I give the wide receiver group a flat yeah. out F. Uh, yeah, maybe a D. I, yeah, they just totally underperformed. I mean, right. On. That group preseason. We talked about this in the podcast. That was going to be the strength. Yes, yeah, going to be the strength. That was a strength, and it might have been. I'm trying to think. Right. It, it might have been their second weakest, if not they were the weakest position group. Yeah, you're right. I I, ha- I will go with a D because I can't. I hate giving Fs. I just I hate it. I D. know. I see. Yeah, it's because you're the nice teacher. I'm the nice teacher, but yes, you're right. They really, really underperformed. Okay. D D uh, line. You know, I'm gonna have to go with a, a like a D there too. Really? D D plus maybe. Wow. I, we just didn't see the pass rush. Yeah, we didn't. Who led That's- the team in sacks? Linebackers, um, oh, follow. Golly, that's not yeah. good. Yeah. Linebackers got to get a good grade, though. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'd give them a, a B. Yeah, yeah, they were they were freaking stout. By the way, we'll get to your damn questions today, too. Uh, secondary. Yeah, I, you know, I, I thought they did well, too. I mean, for as young as they were, I, I think I'd have to go with a maybe a C there. Okay, and C then... Plus. I feel like I special need... Teams, I, okay, special <laughs> teams, I will give an F, because I think... Wow, even Perebsky? Not Prepsky. But you know what? He had a couple games that were kind of clinkers, too. Yeah. Yeah, that's true, but they're also D. games. Where he, yeah, I'm giving him a D. Yeah. I think a D's fair because they're literally games where the offense could do nothing, and he was the only one keeping the defense <laughs> that's true. at, like, the, the opposite 20-yard line, you yeah. know? <laughs> Otherwise, they're screwed, and they're starting at the 40 or 50, and they're getting blown out in some of those games. I don't know what they're going to do, by the way, about their field goal kicking. Yeah. That's another off-season storyline. Another. Well, Garrett Owens is no longer there. Yeah, he got. So uh, he's he's moving on with his um, grad grad transfer rule. So he is leaving Oregon State. Where's he going? Uh, has not been determined yet. Kendall Hill is the other one that will be leaving or has left the program too. Um, so. I don't I don't mean this like in any mean spirited manner. Why would Garrett Owens leave? <laughs> is he going to like a lesser program? Because I don't know what major program would want that. I, I don't. No know. offense to the kid, but. He also got a free education out of the deal. So after, like after looking at his uh, Twitter feed, yeah, um, and him kind of spooking himself out about weather, he better go someplace like Arizona that he doesn't have to worry about any rain. Oh, or he was worried about the weather. Huh? Oh yeah, there was a couple games. Remember the one that there was? I mean, you go back and look at his Twitter feed, and it was he was all worried about the gusty hurricane force winds. God, and, you know, I I am a I have people that students and you know people that are like my age that like listen to the radio show. Sometimes I'll get like emails. And people legitimately go, you know, how did, how did you do this? How did you get to where you're doing what you're doing? Like, I, I want to do something like that. And I am just a firm believer, and probably because I read way too many of those positive John Gordon type books, the energy bus type stuff, I'm a firm believer in you talk what you want to do into existence. You say, you know what? I want a radio show, and I'm going to kill this stuff when I get that opportunity. I'm a firm believer in it. 
Now you're going to have setbacks, but I just believe when you put it into the universe, it can happen. When you start tweeting like the weather stuff as a kicker, like I just can't imagine that you're building great confidence in your mind. No, completely. I mean, it gets especially kicking. Yes. It's such a mental, I mean, it's like putting and golf and all yes. that. You know, you get in that kind of like a guy that, you know, can't shoot free throws. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's not good. But, you know, special teams, like I said, Prepsky's back another year, so that, that should be good. But, yeah, I feel bad giving Fs, but. Yeah, I know. I get that. Hey, did you see, by the way, real quick, <laughs> did you see what Riley did? I, I, firing Bruce Reed? Yeah. I, I seriously almost fell off my chair. I, I received a phone call from a, a writer at um, in Omaha or uh-huh. in, in Lincoln, and he called, and he's like, has you know, Coach Riley ever fired anyone before? Like, flat out fired? Just one. And I was like, that I, I mean, I had, to, I had to sit and think. Newhouse, right? No, he didn't fire Newhouse, so that yeah. was it. He he was going to move him to an inside That's um, right. quality control type coach, and Newhouse didn't like that. The only one that I could think of that he fired was Dave Unger. Gosh, that really might be it, huh? And especially not one of his little inner, the, you know, inner circle. When I did an inter—so when we did a radio show in Omaha, we did an interview with one of the shows after, since they helped us out, we wanted to give them some stuff. Uh-huh. And it was for the Duck-Nebraska game, and we were just talking Nebraska— and the, one of the hosts goes, what's going to, you know, if anything's going to end up doing Riley in here, what do you think it's going to be? And I flat out said, loyalty. Loyalty is going to murder him yeah. here. Yep. And they're like, well, what do you mean by that? And I was like, well, take his coordinators. Uh, look at his offensive guy, Danny Langsdorf. That's a lifetime deal. He's not going to get rid of him. Defensively, Mark Banker, I don't know how many years of crap defense you would need to see to move on, but it doesn't matter for Riley. He's not going there. I said, and here's another one that people don't talk enough about that Beaver fans would be driven crazy about, and that's special teams. And they both started laughing, and I go, yeah, I bet you guys really love those fair catches you get, huh? And they just started dying. Their phone lines started lighting up, and I go, if he's going to succeed here, he's got to cut the loyalty. It's not in his nature. It's not in his DNA. He hates to fire people, but if he's going to succeed, he's got to be able to cut the ties to loyalty in areas that really hurt his teams. And this year it was special teams for Nebraska, and mm-hmm. boom, lo and behold. Yeah. No, so, it was. I was shocked. Yeah, I was too. I, mean, I, I actually got a couple direct messages from a colleague that covers Nebraska a couple times during the season and said, you know, if you want some laughs, just, just go Google or go uh, – Twitter search Bruce Reed. Oh my goodness! I and, you know, I, I said I go. I wish you know. I go. It sounds like Beaver fan. Honestly, <laughs> I mean. Well, that's what I noticed, Angie. Like they took phone calls. It literally one season they sounded like Beaver fan already. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, no, I was shocked, and I mean, hate seeing people fired, but yeah. um, it's uh, yeah. Well, the it's, guy it's was big business. I mean, yeah. he's highly making, compensated. Yeah, he was very well compensated, and. So, I wish but, I could get paid four hundred thousand dollars a year to line kids up and practice kickoff returns. That's <laughs> real difficult. Another, yeah, real tough yes. work. Yes. All right, let's get back into OSU stuff. Sorry. Yeah, we have so much recruiting. I, ha- I mean, I'm like oh. busting here to talk recruiting. Okay. All right. Well, we talked Civil War. I hope that we covered everything. I mean, we could pl- break it down play by play, but to me, it was it was just as simple as they got the win and they ran it down their throats. They didn't even need to throw the ball, and you basically got the coach fired. That sums it up about as well as you can do, right? So, do- so what would you – I mean, we, and folks, Brandon and I don't talk about this. I didn't come into the show knowing that I was going to be grading the team, so that was all straight off like – Oh, yeah, yeah. Off the top sure. of the head, Brandon? Yeah. What would you just give that Civil War grade? 
overall? Oh, I think you have to go A. I mean, (laughs) look, the the team, if we want to do a position breakdown like I just did to you, I can do the same thing, and I'll give you my grades. But just on that game, I mean, I'm sorry to come in there, literally have no passing attack whatsoever, even if against it's a bad defense. You still don't have the ability to throw the ball they maintained it in the first half. They came out from the start, were ready to play, which I was worried about. They they withstood the the you know the kind of that that ability of Oregon to really say we're up ten, we're going to go up seventeen now. Oh yeah, and you can blink and it's twenty four. Yes, I, mean- I got into the stadium in the second half too late. I missed the touchdown by Oregon. I look at the scoreboard and I go, Are you effing kidding me? We're only we're already down seven. I missed yeah, like no. a minute and a half of the second half. So. To withstand that, to get the defensive stops, even in, in the rain, doesn't matter to me, to hold Royce Freeman to what you did, and to literally only have one option offensively, and the, to that to succeed, you, that's an A to me. You, yeah. you are outmanned, you're out-talented, you're, you're, you're out a lot of things in that matchup, even though that team sucked this year. And to me, to, to do that, it, that, that was an A effort. So for that game, uh, I'll give it an A grade. Yeah, definitely. Um, position group, I mean, that's a whole other thing. Offensive line, I would probably go B. Quarterback, I would probably go D+. plus. Running back, I'll go B when they're healthy. Um, defensive line, I'd probably go same thing. i go D, no pass rush. Linebackers, I'll give a B+, plus because they had to do a lot of work. Secondary, I'll go B-. Minus. And um, special teams, probably like... A C minus, and that's because of Perebsky. So, yeah. yeah, good. So we weren't that far off. Yeah. All right. So let's uh, let's get into the the juicy stuff. This is I, I'm not kidding myself. I know why a lot of people listen to the podcast. It's to get the insight on Oregon State recruiting, and nobody is as dialed in on that front as you are. The only thing I know, Angie, and the only thing I say before I'll just let you go <laughs> is holy hell, Oregon State is ahead of Oregon right now in the recruiting rankings, and it is freaking fantastic yeah and there's you know we just released we do a a thing at beaver blitz called the war room so um you know from now really until signing day in february we do a a weekly look at the top we have a a watch list of the top right today we had 13 so every friday we try to go out with the top guys to keep an eye on um and then any little nuggets or tidbits that we hear along the way um we add to that. We have a weekly chat, uh, an online live chat that we do every Wednesday night. So um, lots of little pieces along the way. But Wednesday, this Wednesday, December 14th, marks the mid-year transfer signing period. So this is where the JUCOs that can come in early will sign or the early high school enrollees. So Oregon State is actually looking to sign between nine, like I believe, eight to 12, eight to 13 guys on Wednesday. Wow. In the next, the the signing period goes from December 14th to January 15th. So um, big, big things coming. So um, I'm going to grab my list here so I don't miss anybody. But um, it's kind of taken, you know, there's always some intrigue because guys are starting to come, other schools are starting to come in on guys that Mm -hmm. Oregon State maybe had committed. But um, just for our podcast listeners, this this is what I have right now for Wednesday, um, as far as signees, uh, we're expecting Jalen Lane, a JUCO cornerback out of Kansas. He was a four-star out of high school, um, but he is expected to sign, although Texas Tech just came in and offered him two days ago. So being a Texas native, 
that obviously is going to turn some heads. But uh, Jake Luton, the quarterback, Justin Saddlemeyer, uh, 6'7", he just tweeted today that he's up to 310 pounds. So big-time J.C. Uh, O-lineman oh, signing. Yeah. Isaiah Hodgins, the four-star wide receiver prep that will be coming in early. Colby Taylor will be signing. He's another uh, Chandler pipeline guy, uh, a big wide receiver. So those are guys we expect to sign. Um, some question marks. Xavier Davis was actually Oregon State's first commit of the 20, for the 2017 class. He committed November of 2015. He's out of Pima College. Something's up there. The kid's always been kind of tough to reach. Took his trip for Arizona, and I, you know, I, he told me that it opened his eyes and kind of has him rethinking. Oh, no. Now he's gone completely quiet. I don't know what's up there, but he's a big defensive end and could could be helpful for Oregon State. Um, Imoni Robinson, he will not be signing, but many will remember he was a signee last February. He's just gray shirting, so he'll be joining the team. And then there's a lot of intrigue about these JCs that could be signing. Number one on our war room, I'll give you guys that one, is Craig Evans, the big D tackle out of Arizona Western. Oh, yeah. I think we've talked about him. He was a four-star at high school in in Wisconsin. He had a great bond with Coach Anderson, went to Michigan State, has left Michigan State now, and he loves Anderson. Every time I talk to him, he said Oregon State is there because of Coach Anderson. He trusts him completely. He is taking a trip right now to Kentucky. So um, Ole Miss is also in the running for him. So are we feeling good about him? I do. I feel really good about him. Like I said, he is number one on our watch list today, and – you know, watch list, a lot of things go into the watch list, like, you know, a skill, position of need, where we feel, you know, if we feel that there's a good shot of the Beavers landing him. So he is number one. Some other guys that we are watching, Brian Cole, he is the safety out of East Mississippi. I know we've talked about him before. Mm-hmm. Um, he is really torn between uh, Pac-12, Oregon State, and SEC. So um, he's kind of up in the air right now. Keyshawn Nixon is the big cornerback out of Arizona Western. That kid is so all over the place. He's actually <laughs> tripping to Tennessee this Yeah, weekend. I've seen the pictures of him in the yeah. jersey. Yeah, he, he, him and actually Isaiah Miller, who is a running back commit um, and expected to sign early, he's tripping to Tennessee this weekend as well. So those two I'm kind of on the fence watching. I, I hear Tennessee is tough to beat when you get a kid down there for an official visit. But. Yeah. Yeah, they just got the number one player, um, I believe, overall, didn't they? Yes. Yes. The, the defensive lineman because defensive his sister lineman. got hired. He got She got a job for Tennessee as Butch <laughs> Jones' assistant. Yeah, it's crazy how that stuff works, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. I love how that lines up. It's like Indama Kinsu. He wanted to go to OSU, but he goes to Nebraska because his sister's there. It's uh-huh. like, okay, yeah. great. Yeah, let's see. Yeah. Um, and then two more O-linemen. I know we have some listeners that love the offensive linemen. Keep an eye on Jordan Agasiva. He is number two, actually, on our watch list. He is at uh, Pima College as well. And um, George Moore is a player um, out of San Mateo Community College, committed to Washington State. But, um, you know, Oregon State's in the mix. Arizona State is in the mix. So um, a couple really big prospects there um, still on the radar. And then looking ahead, oh, my gosh, there's so much going on as far as preps. Uh, we do enter a dead period on Monday, so that means, you know, no official visits and all, and all of that. So um, it'll be quiet for the next month from there. But um, we already have confirmed Trajan Cotton is a three-star safety out of the San Francisco, or Sacramento area. He confirmed with me yesterday that he will be visiting Oregon State on the 13th of January. Nice. He's 
a huge prospect. I mean, he's really looking Colorado, Nebraska, Oregon, UCLA um, has offers to all those plus some. So um, big prospect to keep an eye on. Giuliano Falanico, remember that name. He's a four-star linebacker out of Pago Pago, American Samoa, and is currently committed to USC, but he did take a trip to Oregon State this past weekend. Oh, an ability to flip a four-star would be great. Yes, he is the um, number 24-ranked outside linebacker, big-time prospect, and I know he had an amazing time, former teammate with um, Elu Iden. So he has friends on campus, and that would be a huge flip. Just looking who else. Uh, we're keeping an eye on Tayari Venable, the uh, Rancho Cucamonga cornerback. I expect him to make a decision here soon between Washington State and Oregon State. Uh, Charles Watson is another safety out of Hawaii, and uh, you know he's gotten a ton of attention lately. So uh, again, Washington State, Oregon State are right there in, in the mix for him. That's fantastic. Um, the, it sounds like I saw you tweet the other day, Isaiah Miller. It sounds like you're pretty concerned. Um, that, that I am. Just he's you know he's taken some trips. He went to Missouri last weekend. He's going to Tennessee this weekend. Um, Oregon State was in home with him last night with Coach Anderson, so um, I'm sure they made their last big final pitch to him. But mm-hmm. you know, anytime a guy starts taking that many trips to some big time programs, and he's from Florida, so he's from the other side of the country. Yeah. Do you think this recruiting class is going to stay kind of where it's at? Maybe improve? Maybe drop back a little bit? I mean, just your gut. You know, it depends. You know, it's, it's tough because some of these JUCOs that might have been four stars out of high school scout ranks as three stars now that you know in juco i don't think they have any or very few jucos that they rank at the four-star level just because you know they're a two-year or three-year deal but um i do think this class finishes in that 30 range or in the 30 to you know in the in the 30s somewhere which which would be huge i mean it would be one of the best classes in oregon state history hasn't wasn't riley's the best like a 34th there was a 34 one year, but it's hard to go back and look because all the rivals' data is all skewed now and it's corrupted. So you can't go back and get a good look because rivals changed the way they did grading. Well, that's frustrating. Yeah, so it's hard to uh, actually compare. Well, you know, I'll say this: it's it sucks to lose. It sucks to lose some of those kids, uh, obviously, because of how talented they are. Um, hold on one second, my microphone's kind of being weird. Um, is it coming in okay? Yeah. Okay, there it is. Um, but I feel like too for some of those other names, you know, the the uh, the, the lineman, the quarterback, the DT, that if they can get Evans, um, obviously we know about the wide receiver. Like some of those names, I think are pretty stable enough to where you lose a couple, it sucks. But Gary Anderson's still putting together a hell of a class this year. If they can go to a bowl game next year, you just assume, uh, hoping that they don't lose any more assistance, you just assume that the recruiting is going to continue to improve. Completely. I mean, this staff is, you know, put together so well and focused on recruiting that, um, you know, I had somebody ask, you know, we can talk about Coach Brennan leaving to take the head coaching job at San Jose State, which congratulations to him and his family. Yeah, that's huge Fantastic. for him. Fantastic. I mean, great for him. But It kind know, of somebody... felt like, by the way, when he was hired and I found out that he had the ties, it kind of felt like, ah, I could see that happening one day. <laughs> yeah, no, completely. I mean, his dad played there and yeah. from the area, but... um you know, somebody asked on Blitz, is this, is this going to kill Oregon State recruiting? And, you know, my, my response was it could have hurt big time under Riley staff because 
Coach Brennan was really the top recruiter on mm-hmm. Riley's staff. With this staff, he is one of several really good recruiters. So, um, you know, they did lose out on Jamiri Calvin, which was the big four-star wide receiver who said if Brennan's not there, he's going to, you know, go with, you know, Nebraska or mm-hmm. um, some of his other choices that he has there. But, you know, the rest of them are strong. I checked in with every single wide receiver commit Oregon State has, and they're all solid. So, yeah, and I don't think it has to be, you know, uh, it's it's not a lack of respect for Brennan and what he meant. He did a lot of great things for Oregon State while he was there for both staffs. I did want to ask you this, and correct me if it's right or wrong. Brandon Cooks, was he a part of recruiting Cooks, or did he come in the year after Cooks? He was there, but that was actually a Jay Losey. Jay Losey okay. had, um, and Keith uh, Hayward, I believe, was in on that some. Okay. Um, but Jay Losey was actually, that was his area. And, and Brennan, I'm trying to think if he was there he, or if he just came in. I can't remember exactly so, when he came in. <clears throat> my, my whole thing with it would be, and basically this is my point, it's not that he's not a good recruiter. I'm sure Angie could name off a ton of names that he helped bring to Corvallis. But in terms of the wide receiver group, coaching one, they, they were one of the worst positions. I'm not saying it's all his fault. It's not all Dave Baldwin's fault. But I'm just saying, like, I think from a coaching standpoint, they can't get worse than they were. And, yeah, I, and yeah. that's, again, call it what it is, chalk it up to what it is. And from the recruiting standpoint, like the big names we know about from the all-times – he wasn't a part of that either. And again, I'm not saying he didn't recruit other great players for the program. I'm just saying that when you think Cooks and Wheaton and Rogers and Strotter, like th- he wasn't a part of any of that. So I think Angie brings up a good point of saying for people wondering about Brent Brennan and the impact, you're going to lose a great guy. I think a really good mentor, one that former players adore, love talking to relationship-wise, but recruiting and coaching-wise, I think you'll be okay. I think the staff is built to withstand a loss like that. Yeah, and it'll be interesting. You know, I've already started working on kind of my hot board for this. We'll be releasing it. I was going to re- release it today, but um, I've decided to kind of hold off a day or two. I could actually see Oregon State going after two coaches because if that the rule passes where you can have 10 coaches, Oregon State could actually hire two. Oh, really? Um and then, you know, the other thought is, what about a D-line coach? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Gary so Anderson, Anderson doesn't have to do that anymore. Yeah, and it's, it's not even so much him doing it, it's, which I'm sure he'd like to free that up, but as a head coach, he has restrictions on recruiting, on times that he can talk to kids. He can only be in home once, for example, whereas a position coach can be in once a week. Um, there's some, you know, some thought there of, do you just make Baldwin the receiver coach and go find a D-line coach? Yeah, that's going to be the big one. Uh, don't forget, little tease, we always do our signing day podcast special, um, and we get a ton of hits. Angie comes on the radio show. We talk Oregon State recruiting. Um, so when that – and that's just around the corner. When that gets here, don't forget to be looking for that because we will be off with the podcast uh, until the recruiting and signing day special. So be sure to uh, to tune into that one. Um, anything else, or do you want to get to damn questions? Let's get to some – we have a bunch on Beaver Blitz. Okay, I we, got a, I think we got a decent amount on Twitter yesterday, too. Okay, so um, let's uh, let me pull some up here. Yeah, let me try to. Here's find some here's one I got a bunch, and I, I'd love to get your take because even Mike Parker was has reached out to me when this got when the um, duck hire was made. Okay, Are, do you think we're in danger of Telly Lockett going to uh, Oregon? Okay, so first of all, I think that's a very valid and great question. Um, For those that don't know, Telly actually coached at USF yeah. with Taggart. And by the way, I, all reports are pointing to right now, we had um, 
Justin Hopkins, who I'm sure, Angie, you know that name. Uh-huh. Uh, he does a uh-huh. good job covering Oregon. Um, we had him on the radio show, and he basically hinted at Telly, uh, um, Willie Taggart is going to be looking around the Pac-12 for coaches to poach. Because he needs some West Coast ties. Yes. So does he want Telly Lockett, who's doing a pretty damn good job in Georgia and Florida and helping the Beavs kind of go to that that region? Um, I wouldn't be shocked whatsoever. Relationships are almost everything. I think he loves Gary Anderson, but his relationship with Willie Taggart might be stronger. So I would worry about that. I really would. That would have me... His, his relationship with Gary Anderson goes back further. Yes, it does. Idaho State. Yeah, no doubt. But it would still leave me worried that Willie Taggart... Now there's some new blood. You go to Eugene. It's not like we haven't seen that happen before. We saw yeah. it with uh, Keith Hayward when he went to uh, UW with Sarkeesian. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that that's a legit concern and fear, I think. Let's see. That's uh, Okay, what is needed in order for the program to take the next step and compete for a bowl game next year? Quarterback. Yep, I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> Defensive line's great. Pass rush is great. Uh, offensive line consistency and health is great. You gotta have a quarterback, folks. If we had a quarterback this year, I think they're a bowl team. Um, and I look, McMarion did a great job stepping in. Uh, Garrettson had a good start, and then he kind of dropped back. You have a quarterback on this year's team. I think they win a couple of those games that they were close in, and I think they're a bowl team at six and six. Completely, because it, it would be a good story. Yeah. Okay, here's one. I'm sorry, I haven't been ta- saying who gave these. So, oh, what yeah. in the blue hell OSU on Blitz said? Couple predictions for next season. One. One that will happen, one that should happen, and one crazy prediction. Mm. Um, one that happened, one that should happen, and a crazy prediction. I think one that should happen is you're a bowl team. Okay. Um, what was it? One that should happen, one that could. One that will happen, and one crazy. Uh, one that will happen. Um, they will exceed six and six. They will win seven games. That will happen. And a crazy prediction, they will have an upset of one of the top-ranked Pac-12 teams. Wow, that's, that's pretty good. I probably would have gone about the same. So yeah. hard, hard to go out of that kind of you know sphere. I mean, who do they play in non-conference next year? Isn't it kind of a week slate before they got Ohio State next year? Or two yes. seasons away. Well, they have Colorado State is on the road, and I believe they have two home games. Then. Colorado State could be a tough. That's that always a, a tough, tough place one. to play. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think they're going to win seven games next year. Call it kind of pie in the sky, but I think they can improve by three games. Um, I really think Lutton is going to uh, come in and push Moran, push Gerritsen, push McMarion, push whoever. And if he was a starting quarterback, I I won't be shocked at all. Um, And if he's consistent and he's capable and he shows us that from the get-go, I think they're going to win seven games. And you should see a, a bowl team and I think they'll beat like a top 15 type team next year and get one of those ones we talked about earlier that build momentum for your program. Nice. Okay. So Hale the Flat Hill says, where does David Morris see the field first? Safety or linebacker? Oh, that's a good question. Um, He's been recruited as a linebacker, but yeah. he just told us that they are going to try him first at safety. This is almost a Ryan Null situation. Uh, it is. <laughs> I mean, hell, Ryan, or David Morris can play running back, too. So. Where would you put him? Right now, safety. What's his size right now? I think he's, what, 205, 210? Ooh. If you could keep him at 205, 200, I'd keep him at safety. Yeah. I mean, he's and he's pretty built right now. I think you're good enough at linebacker for next year. Am I crazy so, for thinking that? 
No, but it's getting so hard to tell who's a linebacker and who's a defensive end because they've gotten these. <laughs> no, they do and, these. And a safety. I mean, I seriously, you're like. Well, Robinette is kind of both. I mean, he's yeah. a D lineman, linebacker. Smith, yeah. You all these guys that are kind of defensive end, linebacker, safety, hybrid kind of guys. Well, who do they or, lose or, safety Or wise? you have a like an Adam Sosman who's a safety linebacker. Do hybrid. they do they lose Arnold? No, he was only a junior. Okay, so he's okay, so he's got another year. I I don't know. You're right because the hybrid factor makes it difficult. The defense they play is just so unique. It's almost yeah. unique, like Kalani Sataki's defense. It yeah, really no, is. No, it really is. I mean, you really, like I said, the the line has been blurred so much. Yeah, because you're dropping and then you're putting guys up. Um, yeah. I yeah, I'd probably lean safety. That's good size, two hundred five. If he's quick enough, which I think he is. He is, and he's so athletic. I you know you'd I really want him on a tight safety. end right like having yeah. him guard yeah. some of the better tight ends in this conference i'd rather him safety you know if he gets bigger especially if you can flip a falanico then you ha- you know then he's your linebacker but shoot these way these guys eat and work out in the offseason he puts on 15 20 pounds which is not inconceivable that's linebacker size now now he's too yeah. fat to be a safety yeah and falanico so. he does the same thing and then he moves to middle linebacker who knows yeah it's it's a slippery slope there yeah, so I, I think safety is where we see him first, but like like Ben and I just said, it's kind of same. Um, Ebbs fifteen wants to know how is Seth Collins doing. Um, well, I haven't heard I, anything. You uh, you would have to be the one to answer that. I have not heard anything in the past week, but um, I did hear about a week ago that he was doing better. It's it's still going to be a really long road for him. Do you think he comes back? Um, just gut. I mean, I'm not saying you have insight. I'm just gut feeling. Yeah, I think he will. I, I don't know, you know, I don't know if this next year will be a redshirt year for him. It may need to be, um, but he has it. He has it available, so um, I don't know if he'll be back in 2017 yeah. playing. But, um, guys, it was really serious. The more I keep hearing about it, the the more serious it was. Yeah, it, I mean, I we've said this before, but, I mean, he was, basically it sounded like he was almost dead. Yeah, yeah, it was. So... The things I keep hearing were not good. <sighs> Yeah. Um, here, Beaver77 wants to know what the status of the LDS mission guys. I know this gets asked all the time. And well, people we are curious. Had, those, are ki- those kids can yeah, be really talented kids, players. Um, nobody coming in for spring. Um, F- Christian Palau, Simi Mawala, um, those guys all left. Actually, Mawala left January of 2016, so he won't be back until January of 2018. Sheesh. Christian Falau left... Um, the summer of 15, so he won't be back till summer. Um, Riley Sharp left right after school this year, so um, got out, so June of 2016. So we do track that at Beaver Blitz, um, but nobody that we're expecting, you know, within the next six months at least. Okay. All right. We got one question, and I can't see the the listeners, so apologies for this. What commits are you, what commit or commits are you most worried about? As far as being flipped? Yes. Um, right now I'd have to say probably Miller. Okay. Isaiah Miller. Um, there's a, a certain, you know, local newspaper writer that tried to stir some commotion yesterday by saying that the Ducks were going to go after David Morris. And, ah. um, that caused some, a lot of people to kind of, and it was, it was actually funny because after that story came out, then I saw David tweet and it was just black and orange squares. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm committed. Uh, yeah. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I, it, it was kind of funny, but um, yeah. you know, I, I'm not really worried about him. I mean, but you know, some of these distance guys, Isaiah Miller is one mm-hmm. that um, it, he does have me 
And, and Xavier Davis, as we talked about, I really don't know what's going on with that kid. Yeah. Well, it's, these kids are tough to read. They're yeah, tough to yeah. get a handle on them. You know, Jalen Lane is one that, you know, but that's, it's been so fast. But, you know, the kid's from Texas, mm-hmm. and then you have Texas Tech coming in. But he loved his trip. I mean, he committed as soon on Friday, as soon as he got to Corvallis for Civil War weekend for his official visit. And well, his hey. parents were with him. He committed on the spot. He said, this is where I know I need to be. Well, hopefully he gets there. And so hopefully you he... don't want to go to Lubbock. Have fun in Lubbock being a middle-of-the-road garbage Big 12 team. Uh, he's from Nacogdoches, though. Yeah. So I, I've heard Tech that that's sucks, not a, a big a big city either. But Texas Tech sucks. Go to Texas Tech. Have fun with that one. Come to Corvallis, kid. Come play with a winner. There you go. See. <laughs> any more questions? That's that's what I got. For okay. You. All right. Well, apologies if we missed any questions. Um, we're kind of running against it now. I do want to ask you one more thing. This is the damn podcast. I get that. What did you think of the new hire down south? Underwhelming. Honestly, I, I mean, do I think he'll do okay? Yeah, I, I, it wasn't somebody that I, I think screams I'm going to come in and win immediately. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, he seemed like a nice guy. Does it scare you? Because I've heard mixed things talking to people who cover recruiting and then people who like track it but don't talk to recruits themselves. They just track like recruiting class rankings. It's been mixed. Like I hear a lot of he's a good recruiter, and then people back it up to track it and say, actually, he's not that great. <laughs> so yeah, I, you know, I don't. I, like I said, I don't know enough about him. He's going to need to get some West Coast guys. I have a feeling he'll probably try to go after Justin Wilcox, you know, to come in or, Ooh. you know, try to get, you know, somebody like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, Wilcox, I would. Yeah, but here's the thing with Wilcox. you got to remember, if you're going to run a high-tempo offense, he's succeeding really well at Wisconsin because I think it fits his style and what he can do. He struggled at UW, and th- this is an honest thing because I think Banker has this going for him. I think certain guys just cannot for the life of them figure out what to do and how to stop up-tempo, high-powered, octane offenses. Yeah, yeah. You saw that at at UW. You saw it at USC. Teams would light those teams up. And I think you even saw it when Penn State played Wisconsin. Wisconsin was one of the best defensive teams in the country. But Penn State had this high up-tempo second-half offense, and they lit them up in the second half. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Good point. I, I And I think Banker suffered from that, too. He was really good, and then Oregon started doing what they did, and other teams started doing it, and boom, everybody's yeah. running on them. Um, so I don't know about the Wilcox thing. I see the tie there, but... Uh, I, I don't know. I, I just, like I said, I, like I said, I thought he seemed like a nice guy, but, I mean, so does Helfrich. So it, it wasn't, you know, after we heard all this you know, rumbling. And I, I do think the landscape has changed some that Oregon can't just go out and buy their way. You know, Phil Knight can't just go buy his way with flashy uniforms. Mm-hmm. Everybody has flashy uniforms now. It sounds like to me, first of all, the Darren Ravel thing was absolute BS that he even threw that out. And I thought that when he tweeted it, that Phil Knight was ready to drop 10 million. Yeah, that was like, give me a break, dude. You got no inside information. You just tweeted that out of your Well, he did butt. have to drop 10 grand or 10 million because he has to pay well, all the buyouts. Yeah, but the whole thing on the 10 million for a yeah, coach, like for if a you coach. take the buyout, it sounds like he wasn't willing to do that because if he was, he would have got some of the names that they talked about. Yeah. Yeah. No, nobody in the country, maybe outside of Saban and Urban Meyer and Jim Harbaugh, is saying no to $10 million a year. I don't care if it's in Eugene. I don't care if it's in Antarctica. $10 million a year, almost every coach is leaving their job. Heck, the, one I, the one I think that nobody's talking about that has the heck of a deal now is Helfrich. Oh, Helfrich got a oh, great deal. $11 million, uh, you know. He's going to get 11.6. After taxes, he'll walk away with about seven. Less stress. Hell, I'd move back to Coos Bay or wherever he's from and... 
you know, dabble in some high school coaching for a while. Well, he might go get the OC gig at LSU now. That's the well, latest exactly. report. So he'll go make yeah. $2 million be the OC on top of the seven he just got. Hell, you win at LSU and your offense is good. You're going to get another Power 5 job. Suddenly you're raking all that cash. Yeah. So okay. So I know this is changing because you haven't weighed in on your, your tiger, but yeah. I, I was just looking here. We did. I didn't ask this question. Um, Matt Chifoni asked, is there a chance that Baldwin takes over as wide receivers and Anderson goes after a defensive line coach? I definitely think that's a possibility. And this is something I was sitting on last night. I was just kind of like mulling it over. And Beaver fans will probably like groan at this, but – what do you think of reaching out to Brady Hoke to be your D-line coach? No. No? Hell no. Really? I talked to I talked to an individual. Um I don't get a, I don't do a lot of breaking news. I don't try to. It's not what my job is. I was talking to an individual and it basically sounds like Brady Hoke got to Eugene. He shacked up into a hotel. He seemed nice at first and then as the season progressed, assistants just realized he was there cashing in a check, not really caring what people yeah. were saying. Okay. Okay, so, then that wouldn't be good. I'm not saying that he wouldn't get to OSU. He he was at OSU once upon a time. But uh, I was just thinking, you know, he's a he's a good recruiter. Yeah. You could pay him little because Oregon would make up the rest. Is he still a good recruiter? Well, they they give him Jabril Peppers. They say he is the one that brought in Jabril yeah, Peppers. Yeah. I don't know. Look, if he goes, if Anderson makes the move and does that, I'm trusting Anderson. I'm just saying what I've heard. Yeah. Well, that's no, that's interesting. <laughs> it doesn't sound like he got to Eugene and was like, "Yeah, let's do this." It sounds like he was like, "All right, give me my paycheck. Nice. <laughs> I go on the sidelines and act like I'm coaching something." Because <laughs> I'm sorry, I could get paid that and have the defense be that god awful. Yeah. Oh God, no doubt. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pay us $3 million a year. We'll make sure the team scores at least 40 points and gets 500 yards per game. I guarantee it. Exactly. Heck, I'll take a million. <laughs> I would do it for a million a year. Oh, yeah. I'd do it for 500000 Are you kidding me? You and I might be good in living rooms. You never know. I we think, think I... We, you, might, we might be really good recruiters. Do you ever contemplate stuff like that? Like little things that you know I would do. never happen of like how I, I would do. do in that job? Is that hilarious? Like there's no female coaches out there, but I'm like, huh. You know, how fun would that be? Just to, you know, like be the recruiting, you know, be that 10th coach they bring on and just fly around and do in-home visits. This is probably a, a really big, like, humble brag on my end. I actually think I'd be pretty damn good in a living room. I do, too, because you know, you know who, who would like me? Who? I would get the mom vote. Yeah. The moms would love me. Well, you know what would even be more badass, which actually might work in your favor, is I think as a given, you would do well with the moms if you knew football and talked the exactly. hell out of it. The dads, dads would, would the flip. Dads, exactly. Yes. Yes. See, I could see it. You'd get the dads see? in. And you know what? I'll, I'll say this too about myself. I think I would do exceptionally well with moms. The one thing I will always brag about, and I don't care if people call me out and say <laughs> I'm wrong or I'm an idiot. I have always been good with my ex-girlfriend's moms. I was always like one of the guys that the mom would look back on the daughter and say, what happened to him? Why did you let him go? <laughs> I, I know that's a really big humble brag. I get it. Like it's kind of douchey for me to even admit Hashtag that. Hashtag blast. But uh, I was always really good with moms. And it's probably because I was raised by a single mom, so I was always good at like, you know, asking the right questions yeah, and being yeah. polite. And I just feel like if I was a coach, I'd be terrible at X's and O's. I would be making everything I say up. But in recruiting, I could sell something, I could sell a program that I believe in, and I think I'd do good enough in a conversation with parents. There you go, see? Yeah. There you go. Any, anybody listening out there? Machado Sprague for your next recruiting. <laughs> Machado's going to impress the dad, Sprague's going to impress the moms. There you go. 
Um, real <laughs> quick. Team together here. Real quick, because we're really up against it. Um, yes. The Taggart hire, I'm with you. I think uh, from a, an initial standpoint, it's underwhelming. Oregon fan has every right to be amped up. He had a good press conference, said the right things. Um, but I'll respond with the Oregon State and the Washington, the Washington State, and the Arizona, and the et cetera perspective. Prove it, dude. Like, tell me all you want. You're you're now moving from a non-Power 5 to a Power 5. When Gary Anderson did that going to Wisconsin, he showed us he could win. Yep. Um, he proved it. And now he comes to Corvallis. You're sub-500. I don't look at your record and say that's who you are. You are rebuilding programs. I get that. But for all the talk, all the flash, all the cliches, I think everybody sits back and kind of enjoys it until he proves that he scares the hell out of you as a head coach. Until that and, point, you love and, it. And there, there's some good coach. I mean, I, I look at the Pac-12, and, you know, honestly, I don't know how much longer, you know, Rich Rod and Todd Graham will be in their spot. Yeah. I don't know how long Mora will be in his spot. Mm-hmm. But you look top to bottom and in living rooms. I'm like, okay, Chris Peterson has to be amazing he may never i i said this he may his down year may be what stanford's down year is a 10-win exactly, no, season exactly i mean seriously you just look and he's got an anderson you know and and i do think taggart did fine in his press conference but he didn't command it like an erickson mm-hmm. not or an, not erickson i'm sorry anderson mm-hmm. didn't have that confidence that i get you know mm-hmm. um but anderson i think is really would be solid in the living room i um obviously shaw would be great yep um, I think Helton is good. I think he has um, Whittingham has a kind of a command to him. Yeah, McIntyre. McIntyre. Yeah. I, I just hell even Todd real, Graham just got Blake Todd, Barnett. Well, exactly. No, Todd. That's you know, the funny thing is you you watch Todd Graham and Rich Rod and both of them you're just like I mean they they're pretty inter- and then, well and Leach he's the pirate just, yeah the pirate's just entertaining you you might leave his office being like what in the hell but yeah. But there's a lot of personality there that he's going to be going up against day in and day out. There's great coaches in this conference, which is why I would say, if I'm an opposing fan, prove it. You, yeah, you love the yeah. hire? Great. If, we, if Oregon State would have got Bo Baldwin or a level coach to that and Gary Anderson never came, we'd do the same thing. We oh, would exactly. be like, hey, Bo Baldwin was great in the FCS. He can do it here. We'd have the same mentality. So you're, you're, you're welcome to have that. But prove it. <laughs> Good luck. Good luck in this great conference, which we love Gary Anderson Oregon State. It's tough, man. To even get six wins is going to be brutal for them next year because of the slate of the conference, because of the coaches. Um, so so good luck. Um, my whole thing would just be underwhelming because you fired your coach for a guy that, that a lot of people like, looked as a lateral move. Exactly. exactly. That's, I think, the biggest thing. Um, it's no different really than Helfrich, except now that you you got out of the whole history that yeah. you had with all the other coaches. I, I have zero fear. I think other fan bases have zero fear. Go prove it. When you start winning, if you go next year and you win nine games and that defense is as bad as it probably should be, but it becomes better, uh, and you turn around like that, well, okay, then I think people are going to be like, holy crap, this guy can coach, he's recruiting, he's doing well. Um, at that point, you change your opinion. But right now, <laughs> good luck. We'll see over what you can under, do. Over and under, does he make it the five years of his contract? I'll say over, yeah, because I, I think next year he's going to win seven games. Um, I think the year after that they're going to win eight, nine, and then he'll start to get his recruits in. And I think he you can hold that that program, say what you want about it, that program should be able to hold seven to eight wins at minimum. Oh, completely. With the, the amount of facilities and everything they have, they should be able to get that kind of talent in. And I think he can do that, so I'll I'll bet the over. Okay. You going to bet the under? I, I am betting the under. So you think they're going to go, kind of go away of a USC, a Texas, where they go through this spurt of not finding their guy and whiffing on some? I, I do. Okay. I, I, because I think they have a team owner that is 80, almost 80 years old, and is getting impatient. Yeah, no doubt. 
No doubt. All right. Uh, anything else we want to get to? No, but stick to uh, Beaver Blitz and 1080 The Fan for all this fun recruiting stuff that'll be coming on. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and make sure we will tweet it out at Angie Machado one at Brandon Sprague on Twitter. Uh, give us a follow if you haven't already. We will tweet out and remind you that we have a podcast coming for signing day. Um, hey, thank you to everybody for listening this year. This was amazing. The numbers went up. Um, the interaction was better. Um, and it was it was great. We give our time. Uh, I should be home right now. It's 420. But uh, we wanted to bring this podcast to you guys once a week. We enjoyed doing it. Thank you, everybody. Seriously, from the bottom of our hearts for listening, taking some time, and interacting. We enjoyed it thoroughly. Yes. Thank you guys all. It. You know, like Brandon said, this is all just a volunteer effort on our part. So it's it's great to see your tweets and your emails and uh, the fact that you're listening and interacting with us. All right. Uh, BeaverBlitz.com is where you can find her. 1080 The Fan, Monday through Friday, noon to 3, is where you can find me on my radio show. Uh, tune in for the signing day special. And thank you guys again for a great season, great way to end the year, winning the Civil War. And we'll talk to you guys in just a few months. Go Beavs, and thanks again for listening to the damn podcast.